This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 93 of the Dressage Radio Show, brought to you with the generous support of Equisketch, Kentucky Performance Products, and Equestrian Collections. I'm Chris Stafford, and on the show this week, Mary One Listen Students, plus news from Pippa Cookson in Europe on the absence of FEI rules regarding blood on horses in dressage, Glenda McElroy reports from the West Coast, and Heather Blitz is back in the co-host chair. Hi, Heather. Hey, Chris. How's it going up there in Kentucky? It is warming up. Uh, it is finally warming up. It is a gorgeous spring day, and things are starting to grow. We had a ton of rain over the last uh, several days, which has greened up the neighborhood, which is really, really nice to see. And even the crocuses are poking their noses out. All right. So we're we're ready for this. I think the country's ready for the summer, the spring at least. Yeah. Well, you can say that in the northern part of the country, but down here, I'm I'm full of dread because it's already. Our, our highs are already 85 and lows in the upper 60s, 70s. So summer coming for us is a little different story down here in South Florida, but um, we'll see if we can make it through without melting completely. Yeah, you're going to spend the entire summer there, are you? We're going to give it a try, yeah. And I've, you know, I've spent summers in Louisiana, and that's people ask me, well, isn't it, isn't it the same? And it is sort of, but up there, <clears throat> excuse me, we had uh, such a nice facility with a cover and fans and things like that. It could make a huge difference. So this might be tough. So this could be getting up really, really, really early in the morning to work the horses and then later in the evening. Yeah, except, you know, the weather just doesn't follow the rules because sometimes 8 o'clock in the morning is hotter than 10 o'clock in the morning with the, the dew point does something weird. And um, sometimes at 10, it's actually cooler in the air but then the sun comes up so you get this little tiny window <laughs> when it's like okay to ride and I can't quite squeeze all my eight horses into that little window but I'm um, gonna have to be creative I think. Yeah I remember back in when I was living in the east coast of Italy on the Adriatic coast and of course it got so terribly hot in there in the summer and we would get up you know, at four o'clock and we'd start riding pretty quickly you know we'd just get on them because with the stools could be done afterwards so we'd we'd get on them and we'd ride all the way through till sort of nine nine o'clock nine ten o'clock would be really late to be on a horse but we'd usually get done by nine o'clock and that's it and I and then you, you you know you could do all the other stuff the barn stuff but then come back in the evening um you know and do barn chores again in the evening but in the in the heat of the day you couldn't do anything no. And I remember once somebody coming to look at a horse and I had to lunge it and it was high noon and I almost fainted in the heat, not used to being out in the heat that yeah. time of day. I mean, Too much. Yeah, it is. It is. Well, we, uh, we've we got a big show this week, Heather, as I said, and I know you had a really great week last week, a big week for you. You had your coach and mentor, uh, Mary Wanless, join you. I did. And it's just um, it's always so great, you know, to get help and get a, a, a boost into the next sort of level and I mean Mary's just a genius and I admire her so much and her her eye is incredible so um yeah we're going to talk with her later and um about you know how it went and I'm just thrilled and happy and I can't wait to ride this week and all my horses are much better off for it terrific all right as you said we will come to that but we do have a couple of items of news one of which of course was round nine of the Remac Crafty World Cup 
qualifiers that took place in Jutenberg in Sweden last weekend. And uh, Adeline Korn-Anderson made it four now, four qualifiers she's won, Heather, uh, with uh, Jarek Parseval. So, uh, I mean, that, that's, a great, <laughs> that's a great run for her, isn't it, in the, in the lead-up to the finals? Yeah, I'm sure she's pretty pleased with that. Yeah, and uh, so must our friend Patrick Kittle, um, who's also time to time a co-host here on the show. He scored a a very, uh, I should imagine, very satisfying second place for him, 81.025 behind Adeline's 82.875. But I think satisfying for him probably because he beat uh, Voromlicht and Isabel Werth with 79.775. So an unusual sort of turn of the tables there, I think, between those two. Yeah, really interesting. So Adelaide, of course, convincingly tops the standings, though, after round nine as they go to uh, Sednogenbosch in the Netherlands for the final round on March uh, 24th to the 27th before the finals in Leipzig in Germany take place from April 27th through May 1st. And those finals, of course, are in conjunction with the jumping finals and the driving finals. It's going to be a big show. Have you ever ridden in Leipzig when you were based in Europe, Heather? No, never been there. No, it's uh, it's apparently a very popular venue, so uh, we'll be following that, of course, with interest here on the show. And also on the West Coast this past weekend, they had a CDI One Star at the Los Angeles Equestrian Center there in Burbank, California. So I was uh, able to catch up with Glenda McElroy, who's the manager of Cornerstone Dressage, who organizes so many of the events on the West Coast. So let's hear how it all went over there in Burbank. Well, Glenda, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us this week. Well, thank you for asking. I appreciate it very much. Well, you had a very busy weekend in there. Manager, as I said in my introduction, you managed the uh, competitions, dressage events down there at, in Burbank and uh, up in Northern California, too. Just give us an overview of the shows that you do manage, Glenda. Well, the, our company, Cornerstone Events Management, uh, manages shows here in Southern California and mostly based at the Los Angeles Equestrian Center. We do manage some shows in Northern California from the Woodside Horse Park up in uh, Woodside, California. And then we do a few shows in the in Midwest in Colorado for the Colorado Horse Park. And uh, so we stay in a pretty busy schedule. You certainly did do. And, of course, this weekend you had a CDI one star, but you had some stars there too, didn't you? We we certainly did. It was the first of the West Coast uh, trials for the, for the Pan Ams, and it was the first of the CDI one stars. It's our midwinter dressage fair. Uh, and so we had a lot of the people come out uh, to, to give their horses a try to, to, for the first of the competition. Uh, and then we had uh, some wonderful with some wonderful horses here we hadn't seen all winter from uh, from the open in the open division. So it was a it was a wonderful weekend. Well, let's just talk about the winners. That of course Stefan Peters is a local too. You've got some pretty smart riders over there on the west coast, Glenda. I have to say, you know, it's not not too shabby. We, we'll have to have you on the show more often, you know, because to get, bring us up to date with what's happening there because you've got some great riders and of course some great young horses and some horses that we haven't seen too much of. Tell us about uh, those new rides that Stefan has well Stefan has a, a wonderful new horse a horse that he's actually had in his barn for a while um uh, Valentino's magic and it's owned by um by a lady from las vegas jen um Havlicek. and she has been very patient with this horse and uh, and Stefan and uh and shannon has been have been very patient with him and brought him along very slowly but he's a wonderful young horse i mean really wonderful young horse and uh scored very high with our judges and the panel um, both times, uh, both in the St. George and in the I-1. Um, he, um, 
he scored um, 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 seventy in the seventy-seven range, both both classes, and he was wonderful, really wonderful horse. Um, Melissa Festerling, her big time horse is, uh, of course, a horse that's been been around for a while. He he's he's been around for such a long time you forget he's such a young a young horse. He um, he was our five year old representative to Verdon. Uh, a few years ago, and he's been coming along up the ranks, and he's now in the in the Pre St. George I one, and is looking for an opportunity maybe to be uh, on the Pan Am team. And he was uh, he w- he kind of was second to Stefan's horse both in both classes, but he did a great job also scoring in the 70s, the 72 in the St. George, and the 73 in the I one. And so he's a pretty solid uh, solid guy, and um, I think he, you're going to see him knocking on the door. Uh, for the Pan Am team as well. Who were your judges this weekend, Glenda? We had a really nice panel. We uh, had um, uh, Jane Ayers, uh, Natalie Lamping from the United States, and we had Lorraine McDonald from Canada. We had a lot of Canadian writers. Well, I was going here. to say that leads us on to that. You know, that very, my next question. I was. You had quite a few visitors from up north. We have every every year for the last seven or eight years. We've had a lot of the Canadians come down from Western Canada, come down to Southern California, and, and um, uh, some years we have more than others. But this year, there's there's about twenty five, thirty Canadians down here showing at the CDIs and uh, down here in Southern California, and and they they come down the first part of January and go home um, the in beginning of April, and. Um, they add a lot to the competition. It's always nice to see nice horses. And, and uh, um, Leslie Reed comes down and brings a lot of uh, her clients and uh, a number of other um, uh, a, lot, a, a number of other trainers. And, and so it's always fun to have the Canadians. They're they're uh, they're great fun to have. Well, you mentioned that uh, Stefan, of course, has got the other horses out, but he also bought his big gun out. How was Ravel looking this weekend? Oh, Ravel looked. Looks super, um, just absolutely super. He uh, haven't seen him since since uh, he came back from WAG. He's been pretty much resting and and they uh, he, not really doing too too much and just just keeping him toned up. But he looked just as good as you could want before he goes back uh, back east to the Masters. He looked fresh. He was bright, light, strong. I, I mean, I just really have to tell you, he looked as good as he's as he's ever looked to me. Um, I thought he just looked uh, looked super, and Stefan was really pleased with him. Really pleased. And um, what did they do? They were in the in the open. They were it? in the they were in the open Grand Prix. They scored a seventy five um, uh, seventy five point five. They uh, um, that's all he did with him. He just took him in that one class. He had him here for a couple of days just to kind of get him away from home. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he uh, and he was just super. He just had a great attitude. The horse just seemed happy, happy, and he. Uh, um, it was he was a pleasure to watch, just a real real pleasure. So, how many classes did you have in total, Glenda, this weekend? Between the CDI and the and the Open Show. Mm-hmm. Well, we had a four ring uh, a four ring show originally when we started out. One ring was for the CDI. Of course, as you as you know, we had a little bit of everything when it came to weather, from from uh, rain to sleet to snow to sunshine and. <laughs> <laughs> so we uh, we kind of ran the ran the gamut. The first uh, the first day Friday we had uh, beautiful weather, absolutely f- beautiful weather, uh, 68 degrees, sunny, the, everything was su- super. And then overnight it rained and we had to move inside to the indoor ring, which 
which uh, which we had already had a schedule set up for in case it had rained. So everybody kind of knew that we were going to go to a rain schedule, and it went it went right along. And um, uh, and the riders were super and, and very. Uh, it, it just it just this whole horse show had just a great feel to it. I, you know, I don't know whether it's because it's the first show and a lot of people hadn't seen each other, but it, it just had a great weekend, a great feel to it all weekend, and we. Um, and everybody made the best of a of a of a, I have to tell you kind of difficult situation, and it was so cold here. Uh, I've lived here a long time, and this is about as cold as I've ever seen it here. It was down into the 30s, and that's extremely oh, unusual. For that's very unusual. You know, I would send you just an ounce of sympathy. You know, given the winter we've had here in Kentucky and the rain that you're done with there, we got over here today. Uh, so you know, it what goes around comes around, right? Well, I have to tell you, Saturday was a really brutally cold day, and it just rained here all day, all day. And it came from rain to kind of hail to kind of a sleet. And by late afternoon, it was there were actually snow falling in Burbank, and I, it has not snowed here since 1937. And uh, wow. that's just unbelievable. I mean, there was enough snow up on the hills to to actually make it like snowmen. I mean, it was a lot of, I mean, for us, we, we were all in shock anyway. But anyway, it was uh, an unusual weekend. <laughs> and um, one of the real saving graces were was that we had a wonderful hospitality area set up that was all enclosed. Um, uh, we had heaters. We had free uh, complimentary, you know, food, hot drinks, you know, for all the riders. And so everybody really enjoyed that. And that was um, Lisa Seeger insurance uh, from Markel sponsored that and it was just a huge hit and made it, it it kind of got the day past the day and it was it was nice warmed everybody up when you mentioned Stefan we should also mention Shannon she rode in Shannon Peters rode in the open competition um, what was she riding and uh, did you manage to see her cl- uh, test Glenda? you know I didn't see much of Shannon she did ride in the open competition Shannon comes Shannon brings her clients to the show fairly often Shannon always does a great job. She has um, uh, three or four new horses that she is is uh, showing for herself in the FEI now, and uh, and I think um, as time goes by, you're going to see her, uh, see Shannon more and more. Shannon's quite talented herself. She she's kind of you know gets overshadowed by Stefan sometimes, but uh, I think uh, they're trying to build some horses for her and uh, develop some horses for her that are going to be very competitive. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting. It'll be, it, it, I think you'll see, you're going to hear a lot more about sh- from Shannon in the next couple of years. Great. Well, we should also give a shout-out to Meta Rosencrantz, of course, a, a local over there for you. It often shows at the L.A. Equestrian Center. She won the Prix Saint-Georges, and uh, Kathleen Rain was right there behind her. So a lot of the regular local riders, but I also should mention for those of our listeners who also follow eventing that, uh, Gina Miles, the Olympic uh, silver medalist from Beijing, she she was competing there too on the flat. Yeah, Gina was Gina Miles was here. She was um, competing at um, in the lower levels. She brought three horses that she comes to a lot of our our, our shows. Gina uh, always is looking to improve her her dressage, and she comes to our shows here in Southern California and in Northern California. But she brought uh, some. Uh, lower level horses that let, and she competed in like training first and second mm-hmm. and uh, she's trying to um, uh, get some of her uh, horses also qualified for some of the year end championships in dressage as well as uh, venting. Well good for her and uh, that was uh, that was just one weekend but uh, when, what are you uh, looking forward to next uh, on your well, schedule Glenda? 
Well, of course, this was the kickoff for the the uh, CDIs here in Southern California, and we in the next uh, next 60 days, there's going to be a number of other um, CDIs, CDIWs, uh, and uh, CDI three stars. Uh, so there's a kind of a two week uh, two week period where we go from the shows in LA. Two weeks later, there's a show in Del Mar. Uh, two weeks later, there's a show up in Northern California. These are all CDIs. Um, then um, uh, then we could, they come back down to Del Mar for the Del Mar National, which is kind of the end of the of the three stars. And um, uh, so there's a lot to do here in the in the, in the early spring. And um, and of course, everybody just keeps their fingers crossed for good weather. But. Absolutely. Well, we wish you good weather, um, Glenda. Thank you. You know. <laughs> Thank you. I need get that. Get the sunshine. Get I the warmth like back. I paid my weather dues. <laughs> <laughs> well, great to talk to you. I hope you'll come back again and bring us some updates as the season unfolds. Oh, I'd be, be very happy to, Chris. Thank you so much for asking. You know, we don't have to forget our West Coast cousins there. You know, when so much happens in Florida this time of the year, uh, but there's also quite a dressage population there on the West Coast. Uh, um, very, very keen and engaged, uh, Heather, over there. You've been over there, haven't you, a couple of times? I've only been over there once to compete, and that was in 2004 for the Intermediate Championships. Um, but I don't get out there all that often, just a couple of times for clinics and a um, few teacher training courses with Mary Wanless and um, just one time to show. So it's just such an endeavor to get out there, and it takes a ton of money and you know, our country is just so huge. It is, it's a little, um, you have to remind yourself to keep looking, you know, to their, to their side of the country. It just feels like such a different universe. (laughs) (laughs) It is. Well, we'll make sure we include them here on the show. Well, as I mentioned at the top of the show there, we do have an interesting turn of events in the, in the story regarding Adeline Cornelison and Yarek Parseval, who were of course eliminated at the Altec FEI World Equestrian Games when they were found to have blood in in, in the mouth, in, in uh, Parseval's mouth, when he started his dressage test. And uh, Stephen Clark was the judge at sea and uh, had to make that determination that there was evidence of blood. It turned out that the... Um, the cause of it was just that that Jarek had uh, Parseval had, had bitten his tongue, and by the time he got back to the warm-up arena, uh, there was nothing to be seen. It, it passed very quickly. However, what the the rules that we thought were in place that caused that elimination turn out not to be in place at all. There is no such rule, according to Pippa Cookson, who is the journalist in Europe who has been drilling quite deep and found and, and examined the rules and found that there is no rule in place. There is no blood rule in dressage. There is in eventing, there is in jumping, and there's nothing in the FEI general rules or veterinary rules to say that that horse should have been eliminated specifically because he had blood on him. So I uh, I thought it would only be appropriate to hear from the journalist herself who actually dug up the story, and it was published in Horse International. It has since been uh, uh, published as a news item in Horse and Hound, but it certainly is a, a, obviously a topic of interest to the dressage world. So I thought we should hear from the person that uh, dug out the story. Well, Pippa, how did this story unfold? Where did it all begin? Well, I wasn't actually particularly looking out for um, this particular um, rule anom- anomaly, as it's turned out to be. I was actually 
um, looking into a completely different topic to do with endurance riding and um, comparing what goes on with other sports. And over the passage of a day or so, I just kept doing a lot of reading, and suddenly I was struck that I couldn't find this, this famous blood rule. And I kept reading and looking into it and looking at other FEI re- regulations and asking a few people, thinking um, that I must have been missing something here. And then eventually it transpired that indeed the rule that everybody believes does exist didn't exist and um, obviously I then engaged in debate with the FEI about it and, and uh, while in the process of um, obviously writing the gaining the garnering the information that was going to go into my column in in Horse International magazine and the FEI's dressage department um, headed by Tron Dasmere's opinion and um, was that the Blood rule, yes, it does not exist specifically, but in the case of dressage, it was covered by various other more general rules, um, which sort of mitigated against actions which could um, be seen to be against the wealth of the horse. And um, and the sort of the discussion went on from there. Um, I think what's quite interesting about it is is not the debate as to whether it's a good rule or whether a bad it's a bad rule. The point is it's not actually a rule. And I think the FEI's line is that, um, as I say, some of the general regulations and veterinary rules do actually cover it. But then, of course, this sort of thing then often begs other questions, because notwithstanding that, some of the other FEI disciplines, such as eventing and show jumping, clearly don't rely on these general rules, because they do have blood-in-the-mouth specific rules of their own, both of which do allow scope for the horse to continue after veterinary inspection and advice, if appropriate. So I'm afraid it has opened a little bit of a can of worms, and um, we wait to see what happens next. What was the Dutch Federation's response to this, of course? Uh, Adeline's uh, chef to keep at the time was uh, Chef Janssen. Yes, um, Chef, um, obviously speaking more as the team manager, not obviously the Federation, um, you know, has, has confirmed to me on a couple of occasions that he did not know the rule as such did not exist at the time of Kentucky, and that had he realised it did not exist at the time of Kentucky, um, he, he, he would have challenged it if, he, if he'd realised this. But of course, hindsight is a wonderful thing, and I'm afraid that of this moment, I'm, I'm obviously not quite sure... Um, what's happening in that regard. Is there scope for recourse now um, after such a time lapse between the event and the realisation that there was no rule in place for which a rider was eliminated? Uh, that side of thing, I must confess, I haven't really looked into yet. I mean, that, that's just sort of not quite my area of expertise. Um, I'm afraid I, I, I haven't really thought about that. I mean, obviously, as a, as a future plan, the um, FEI dressage department is now um, looking at clarifying the rule. I mean, they have said to me and gone on the record that they will now write a blood-specific rule to avoid future debate about the matter. And if this is presented to the annual assembly in the usual way and is passed, it will be affected from the beginning of at least 2012 Olympic year. Um, And then in the meanwhile, I'm conscious that... um, the International Dressage Trainers Club and I think the Riders Club have all been asked to give input into how a new rule might read. Um, I think quite a lot of people favour following the eventing rule as a template 
Um, but I'm afraid I don't have any further information on exactly how the rule will read at the moment. Well, you referenced there uh, the time lapse that's involved here, Pippa, with the introduction of a new rule. As we mm. know, in any governing body of sport, it takes a while to process that and for it to go through the machinery and it would not be until after the European Championships which take place of course later this year that these rules would come into effect in time for the 2012 season so in theory we have a situation where we could go into another major championship and the same scenario could uh, could be reversed if you will I mean if we had Adeline for example and Farsavor going in and there was blood on the horse's mouth, he bit his tongue is going in again. We've potentially got the same scenario and another judge letting her keep going because there's no rule in place. Yes, indeed, um, that, is, that, is, that is the sort of limbo situation um, the sport would appear to be in for the next 12 months or so until this is resolved. Um, I mean, I, I, have, I just don't know whether or not riders will be inclined to um, carry on as usual because they're... As indeed Stephen Clark said to me um, when we were discussing this situation in hindsight, you know, he would hope that people would interpret the rules within the, the spirit of the sport, if you like. But, um, you know, it is, it is a big deal to uh, um, travel across the ro- world for something that you've been preparing for for, for four years. And, um, you know, if, if there is scope for you to be eliminated when maybe... Um, that rule is is not really enforceable. I, I'm just I I don't think possibly people would roll over in the same way they would do if it was as yet set out in 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 black and white. Well, it is an extraordinary situation, Pippa, because um, as we know, the 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 rules are assumed to be in place, and when officials implement uh, so-called rules, quote unquote, um, they assume that the the people now, even if the riders are not aware, and the trainers they are taking it for granted. It is a kind of conditioning that we assume those rules are in place. Mm. Yes, conditioning is quite a good word. Um, uh, sort of another person I spoke to about it was, was, was David Hunt, who's the um, president of the International Dressage Trainers Club, um, who obviously having some input into this. And he, you know, he said to me that he wouldn't be at all surprised if, if the majority of trainers did think um, that this rule existed because they are conditioned into it, a because of what has gone on before, and of course a number of national governing bodies in dressage do have their own blood-specific rule. Our own national governing body, British Dressage, over here in the UK, um, has an incredibly long and involved rule about blood in the mouth that you know applies even at obviously very low-level competitions. So um, I can quite see how this presumption has come about. Well, interesting story, and thanks again for unravelling this. Uh, We will, of course, follow it with interest here on the Dressage Radio Show. Pippa, thanks so much for your time. Not at all. Yeah, I mean, I wonder how many people have assumed that there was a rule. I mean, I certainly did, and it seems like it's always been in place that that was a... a kind of a known thing. So it's just real interesting that she thought about digging into this and looking. And um, of course, now that just is going to be a rule and it's, um, that's a, a good thing in many ways. But, you know, as far as horses biting their tongues or just a little tip of their lip or something, that's just such a an insignificant and sort of, you know, common thing. And it certainly doesn't uh, denote any abuse or really real significant pain in the horse. But um, I'm sure now we'll have an all or nothing rule in bold type in some point at the FEI ruling. So, 
And we will follow this with interest here on the show. Keep you posted here. Well, one of our latest additions to the Horse Radio Network is Equisketch. Equisketch is a great new company dedicated to providing the best mobile apps for every rider. Every app has been designed to be used by riders of all ages and all levels of experience. With Equisketch Dressage, you can replace your dressage paper or dry erase board and begin learning all your dressage tests on your iPhone or iPad. The Equisketch board allows you to study in a flashcard style for, by hiding the step instructions while visualizing your location in the arena. Every test can also be viewed in a written format and later shared with your dressage students or fellow riders. Equisketch Records allows you to manage all your horses and shows on the go. Track every medication, vet visit, dental exam, farrier work and more, complete with built-in reminders. Equisketch has some of the best-selling app, equestrian apps on the iTunes App Store, which have already been purchased in over 35 countries. They are available for your iPhone, iPad and iPod Touch. Visit equisketch.com hrn for more information or search Equisketch in iTunes. Equisketch, dedicated to making your equestrian life mobile one app at a time. Well, Heather, I have to ask you, being the iPhone, iPad tech, tech enthusiast that you are, do you have this app yet? No, I think I've got to be more organized to get that yes. organized. <laughs> All right. Well, as we said, uh, you had a busy week last week with Mary Wanless in town. And uh, also, um, I think you've got uh, some students uh, that also that you invited to the show. I'm sitting here with my mentor and coach, Mary Wanless, who's been here for the past three days, um, helping us all with our riding. And I also we also have on the phone with us Betsy Rebarcel, who is a student of mine and also rode with Mary. It was her first time with Mary. And another student of mine from Fort Lauderdale, isn't it, Linda? Um, Linda yeah, Love. Uh-huh. Well, welcome to you to you all. And, and the, Linda and Betsy, you both attended the clinic this week. And so we're going to hear from you in just a second about what you got from that, because I know you're already uh, students of, of Heather's, as she said. But um, m- let's go to you first, Mary. Um, what, is, what, what, is it, what is it that you... Um, what what is it when you get to a clinic that how do you how do you set up your clinic for the week? Does it depend on the students or the country? Because we've had you on the show before, and it's nice to have you back, by the way, because now you've actually been in the thick of it with with Heather. What is it that you uh, look for when you set up your clinics over here? Um, my clinics get set up over here initially through someone who contacts me because of their interest in my work normally someone who's read my books or seen the DVDs or been to a symposium. Um, and most of the time in the U.S., I'm coming back to work with people I already know. So Heather, for instance, I've known for 15 years, and she's been coming on these clinics when she can for 15 years. Um, I mean, it's maybe more what I see when I see a rider in front of me, which is I'm looking at that rider's body, the pattern of what happens in their body, how the horse's movement is affecting their body, how they're affecting the horse. And I just try and find ways to get people in the place that from there and the horse's point of view is going to work. And how many students did you have this time, this week in Wellington? Um, had eight people on the clinic, so that's eight 45 lessons during a day. And then we also do a question and answer workshop lesson that may also lead to us doing some exercises. So... Um, it's normally either eight students on 45-minute private lessons or 12 students doing our lessons in pairs. 
Well, let's characterise that clinic. I mean, um, Heather, maybe you're a good person to do this because you've been working with Mary for so long. Because each clinic, you obviously you take every advantage of spending time with Mary to to you know evaluate what you're doing. Give us a picture of what that clinic looks like. Describe that for us, would you? Uh, well, in my particular rides, or just how I felt like the the rides went overall. I think generally, um, yeah. Well, it's just a, it's an approach for the the horses, and that comes completely through the rider and how they get. Um, you know, more and more detail and really bite-sized chunks that they can work with. Um, they get awareness of, you know, how their body affects the horses. And it's just, you, you end up seeing riders that, you know, even if it's their first time coming into a clinic with Mary, they may not really know what they're in for for learning or what their weak points really are, but they end up getting, you know, such major light bulbs really in these big aha moments that, it it just really gets exciting to see people break through these these walls or these places they couldn't figure anything out for maybe years uh, previously that they come here and they get some information that it's just it's um it's really out of the box and just so effective and so real and stuff that they can take to not only the horse they're riding but then to horses that um any other horse they ride and um, not to mention their friends and peers that are also riding, they can, you know, maybe give some insight to as well. So it's just it's information that is, it's very unique, it's very out of the box, and it's very, very, very effective. Well, let's turn to the students. You, well, two of your disciples, Heather, Betsy, and Linda, starting with you, Betsy, was this the first time that you'd ridden with Mary, and what were your impressions of the week? Yes, it was my first time. And... um I, w- I rode in the clinic without getting to see another lesson. So this was, I just went in there completely not knowing what to expect. Um, I'm a very long-time rider. I've heard the same thing over and over from many different people, um, very good trainers. And um, what Mary does is she, as Heather said, she goes outside the box. She comes from a different angle, and she tells us, do things with our bodies that maybe another trainer hasn't said. And many of us, I think lots of people who come to Mary have been with many, many trainers, and, and it's just not quite working, and this and that, and we have questions, and we try to do what we're told, and we're told to do it over and over, and we try and we try as hard as we can, and it really doesn't quite get the effect we want. And Mary has an incredible eye. She's extremely detailed and discriminating, and um, it's hard work mentally and physically to kind of tear everything else it's kind of like peeling an onion to kind of break down some of your other thoughts and be willing to say oh oh i see this is a little different this is a different way of saying it and wow it really does make sense um i rode three days it was very hard it was a wonderful clinic um i liked the way we had then the uh unmounted workshops so that we could ask questions and Mary was very very forthcoming with um descriptions and explanations and I would say Mary works really hard (laughs) and um I think that's true (laughs) yeah (laughs) um and you know again I've been riding a very long time and as we know we all know that riding takes many 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 years and uh sometimes we have to rethink things approach them a little differently and Mary helps us to do that just explain to our listeners, Betsy, what level of riding you're at and competing, just to put this in context. 
I've been riding a long time. I've ridden through the Grand Prix. I competed for the United States um, at the Pan American Games in 1999, and we were the team gold medalists, and I was fourth individually. Um, I've been riding a long time and doing the Grand Prix for a good 10 years. Um, but I keep going back to the drawing board and saying, no, wait a minute, how could I get this better? Why isn't this working? Why isn't that working? And um, right now I'm competing, uh, just started competing a horse at the Precinct George I-1 level that uh, Heather found for me. And um, I started working with her a year ago when I got this horse. I want to come back to you, Mary, because we often hear this about your style and, and therefore, you know, the the, the style that, that uh, Heather has now and in, ter- in terms of not only a riding but teaching and it, it is all about communicating and we often hear things like how you break things down to bite-sized pieces, you you peel back the layers of the onion. Where does this all come from, Mary? Well, it comes from my own experience when as a young rider and coach I worked my way up through the British Horse Society exams and you know, learn to say the things you say when you stand in the middle of a riding arena. And I said them to other people, just like my teachers had said them to me. But really and truly, I knew it wasn't working that well. And I knew I wasn't a very talented rider. And in my late 20s, I actually gave up in despair. Um, And it just felt like my teacher was saying the same things over and over again, saying them louder. I was trying to do them. I was trying to do the same things harder And in the end, it drove me to giving up riding. And I started again about six months later. And at that point in time, had nothing to lose by really just thinking out of the box. And and now that I wasn't trying to be a good rider anymore, I'd given up on that idea. I just started noticing things in a whole new way. And it was the way I started noticing, the way I started putting two and two together for myself, the way that started working for my students, the other things I learned outside of riding that were going to help me, like learning about how people learn and doing biofeedback and different things like that that showed me more about the body-mind. And that whole level of research and learning has continued over the 30 years since, as has my own attempt to learn to ride and communicate those learnings to others. Break. May I say something at this point? Um, um, okay, he- yes, that. let's bring you back in, in Betsy, sorry. Sorry, um, yeah, I wanted to say um, what Mary said, you know, dressage, we keep following the same old principles, which we all nod and say, yes, they're all very, yes, yes, I agree, I agree. But um, our sport doesn't often borrow from other places. And I think what Mary said is, is really important, that we need to sometimes go outside of our little dressage world and get information from, like, scientific information, get information from other places. Well, let's just bring Linda in. Linda, was this the first time for you to be uh, attending one of Mary's clinics as you're a, a regular student of Heather's? This is actually the um, the second clinic that I had taken from her, and I had audited one um, as well. So this would have been the third time that I had been in front of her, and I have... Um, before I had taken a clinic from her, I actually have all of her, um, geez, I don't even have the equipment to play it anymore, but the big, what is it, the VHS tape. 
so which I probably had purchased like about 10, 12 years ago. So I've been on this huge quest to try to figure out what I was doing wrong. And then I had read her book. So to finally get in front of her about three years or so ago um, was just such a thrill. And I had so many breakthroughs. And then this, it was probably a good two, two and a half years um, that my, this clinic that I took this past week um, before she saw me again. And just to put this in context for our listeners, Linda, what level of riding are you at and, and experiencing competition? Well, I would say I'm at a totally different end from where Betsy was. I had, or Betsy is, I had done the hunters. I have a show hunter. I had done, wrote, written in, as a hunter for years and years on the A circuit. And I finally stopped. And one of the reasons that I was so interested in Mary is because I pretty much reached the same point, is I knew that I was creating situations in my horse, whether it I was adding to a potential of unsoundness. Um, the trainers would say something to me. It's like, this doesn't feel right. My body doesn't feel right. A lot of times I would feel that I know that I'm crooked or I know that I'm not using a particular muscle group, but no one could really, they would just say, well, move your leg here, put your heel there, so on and so forth. And so as a result, I took a step back and um, I actually had gotten into, um, at that point, rehabbing my, my gelding. And then I started riding in dressage and I have a younger horse now. I purchased a younger horse and she, I'm bringing her along. I had taken a clinic from Heather also, which was just so incredible. And she has been kind enough to bring me in her fold. And it's all I can say is every ride is just such a breakthrough. It's incredible. And it's things that instinctively when Mary or Heather, but were, they will say something and it's like, of course. And a lot of it also, what I feel like Mary's effectiveness is, is she actually will put her hands on, in order for you to understand on certain parts of your body. It's like, oh. Okay, now I understand, and you can. I could picture that. There are things in the clinic that I took this past week that I'm still working on because physically, she touched that part of my body that I can still feel it, and I can still work on it. So you can take it with you from that point on. It really is amazing. Well, uh, this is interesting, the takeaways that you guys have. I mean, obviously, it is a fascinating, fascinating methodology, and we're delighted that you were able to share this time with us and uh, explain what you got from the clinic. Mary, just coming back to you now, as we know, you you travel all over the country with these clinics. What what next for you? Um, I'm going to Dayton, Ohio, which is going to be a little colder than here in Wellington. So um, I go to Dayton and then Atlanta and Charlotte on this trip. And then I'm back in May. Um, where am I going in May? I think I'm going to Philadelphia and Maryland and Minnesota and Nashville uh, in May. Well, um, you, suddenly, like- you suddenly get around the U.S. Uh, and now, do you have any new DVDs coming up? Not the old VHS. Obviously, we can't play those anymore, Mary. <laughs> well, they are available on DVDs. The okay. old VHS ones are available on DVD, and they're available on my website. Okay. Uh, which is mary-wanlist.com. And yes, I am working on another DVD package. And we also have a new package um, that's on dismounted exercises um, to develop core strength and symmetry. Um, But I just want to say something else about the clinic here, which is that 
I don't know that it's so often where you get a clinic and a clinician where we can have Linda, whose background is hunters, and for her to go out and do a second level test probably would be a, a big thing for her. And Betsy, who's ridden at Grand Prix and ridden internationally. And for those two riders to be able to come on the clinic and for me to be able to help people at those levels equally well, um, I think is one of the exciting things about this approach because the basic thing is the laws of physics and biomechanics don't change whether you're a first level rider, a Grand Prix level rider, whether you have an expensive horse or a backyard horse. The principles of riding are the same. And I think in doing this work, that really shows. Absolutely. Oh. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us. Come back anytime, Mary. and. Uh, thank you. And enjoy the rest of your clinic tour here. And uh, I know while you were down there in Florida, you did get a chance to look at Heather's scruffy pony. How's he looking? Oh, Heather's scruffy pony looks very good. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to be talking about uh, His Royal Highness Paragon a little bit later on in the show. So uh, thank you all for joining us this week on the Dressage Radio Show. Really appreciate it. Thank you. You know, I've been working with Mary for... I guess the past 15 years or so, and I'm just, you know, never going to be, I'll never get enough of it. Um, no matter what level my riding becomes, it's just always so interesting to see what, um, what she has to, to say and what she comes up with. It really improves me at my level of riding. And it just doesn't matter whether you're um, more towards the beginning of your, uh, your experience in riding or you're quite experienced like me. It just, uh, there's always something that, Mary can just really add to in ways that are pretty out of the box and pretty different and very effective. So um, the students got a really great week. Um, we had a lot of auditors, um, great horses, a good weather. Just a super, super week. Well, our thanks again to all our guests, Mary, Betsy, and Linda. And uh, no doubt you're going to be on the road giving clinics uh, after you finish down in Wellington. But you've got shows before then, don't you, Heather? Any shows coming up this weekend? This weekend, yep. I have Paragon in the Precinct George and I won at the Derby um, starting on the 5th. And the very following weekend, I'll be showing at the CBI that they're running um, along with the World Dressage Masters at the Jim Brandon Center. So... Um, got those two important ones coming up. Brilliant. Well, we're going to talk about Paragon, of course, a little bit later on um, and in Paragon's diary. But before we get to that, and before we get to Heather's tip this week, I want to remind you about our valued sponsors, Equestrian Collections. Of course, it's coming that time of the year where you start to dig out the show clothing and equipment for the spring season, only to find that it's finally beyond repair. Well, there's an easy solution to that problem with a visit to equestriancollections.com. They have the latest in spring and show clothes for you, your spouse, and your kids at prices you can afford. Not only do they have a great selection, great prices, and a state-of-the-art website, that is what you get for looking to Equestrian Collections for all your spring and showing needs. So go to equestriancollections.com. Well, Heather, your tip this week, um, I, I believe, is an interesting transition. Well, yeah, I just thought about reminding riders out there listening that um, as you go up the levels, you might um, forget or not put enough emphasis on the trot to canter and canter to trot transition. And that seems like a really simple one because younger and greener horses start out, of course, going to canter through the trot. And as you go up into the medium levels, um, you compete in the medium levels, they 
don't require that transition. And then they really don't bring it back again until all the way until the Grand Prix. So it's an easy one to forget. Um, you tend to go into a lot of collection and go from canter to walk, which is really collecting exercise. And um, <clears throat> you find it maybe when you try again with a medium level or pre-St. George horse that going from canter to trot is more difficult because they actually have to lengthen into that transition. And you might think going into trot from canter, you would want to bring a horse back into a lot of collection. And if the horse starts to know collection really well, um, especially if they're schooling Grand Prix that much collection, then, you know, getting them to almost flatten out or almost fall into the trot um, can be a lot more challenging than you think. So just my tip was just kind of a reminder to use trot to canter and canter to trot as a, um, a reminder of what it is um, to make that transition and to be able to do that along with the walk canter transitions is um, there's, there's an interesting dynamic in there and you might find some, uh, some improvement in your horse's ability to listen to you and also um, just to find suppleness and a little more kind of specific um, organization in your horse just by adding that transition back in and then you'll be ready for the Grand Prix. Yeah, just like that. Just like that. <laughs> <laughs> you make it sound so easy, Heather. And you make it look so easy too. Um, Thank but, you. Um, I'm thinking you, you, because of the body work that you've done with Mary, your body must be in such, I mean, of course you have youth on your side as well, but you, you, your body must be so fit. You know, your abs must be, must be just so firm. You must be, you know, your core must be so strong. Well, strong, yes. Um, he- healthy, definitely. Like, um, you know, I don't <coughs> don't have. Sorry, my dogs are fighting over a bone. <laughs> <laughs> don't have um, a lot of resistance or tension in my neck or my lower back. You know, I, I'm, I'm not even going to knock on wood because I think it's for for real reasons that I operate from my core so much. And just as another little note here, um, that you know, when you train with the same things in mind with your horse that you don't train for a lot of, you don't always think hind legs, you don't always think supple on the neck, you don't always think the exterior, but you think the interior on the horse, that they have to also get that kind of core strength and stability and balance in the middle that um, I think your track record for healthy horses might increase, you know, when you when you increase their general sense of, you know, balance and, and being in, a, in an athletic position within their body, that you end up stressing their body less on ways that a lot of dressage horses tend to break down um, if they don't have that kind of stability. So I think it helps both horse and human to really locate those core muscles and really operate everything from there. Yeah, you know, it, it, it sounds easy, but it is so fundamental to probably everything that we do, our whole posture, whatever activity we do is getting those core strengths really developed and uh you know, it's so easy for me to sit here and say that, and I'm so out of shape. <laughs> it's a lot of work. It takes a lot of strength, that isometric strength. It does take a lot of work and concentration, you know, but man, is it worth it. Yeah, it really is. Welcome good for you, Heather. Well, I know that you have a lot of fans out there uh, who who write to me constantly, and I mean that, that, that love your tips and love to hear you on the show. So uh, um, I also want to remind you that a lot of Heather's tips also get played again on Horse Tip Daily over there with uh, Glenn, who uh, produces that show every day. There's a new tip on Horse Tips Daily. And uh, if you want to listen to Heather's tips uh, one after the other, you can go and download them there from Horse Tips Daily. 
Well, we're going to come to uh, Paragon's diary, diary here shortly. and uh, but, but before we do, we're going to hear f- uh, a reminder of our sponsor's Kentucky Performance Products. And when horsemen were asked what they were looking for in a nutritional supplement, the answer was easy. One that's affordable, effective, and scientifically proven. Kentucky Performance Products took that message to heart and developed supplements to meet those needs. All of their supplements, from NALOX, equine antacid to summer games, electrolytes, and joint armor, are formulated based on sound research. They're affordable, and you can count on them to deliver results. To choose the right KPP supplement for your horse, visit kpp.usa.com. That's kppusa.com. Or call 1-800-772-1988. To learn more about horse nutrition and interact with experts at KPP, be sure to join their Facebook page, too. And our thanks again to our loyal sponsors there, KPP. And I have a reminder for you, too. There are so many ways to listen to our show, and here is one of them. Well, Heather, you know, we started Paragon's Diary some time ago when you first came on the show, and uh, your superstar over there is just uh, getting much more and more important and full of himself to the point now I understand he even has his own Twitter feed. Yes, he's just decided to go and be and tweet, which I think is is a riot. He's um, Facebook and, um, yeah, saying things through my Facebook and his just isn't enough for him. So we had to start tweeting. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't to the title of His Royal Highness. So I think his name on Twitter is HRH Paragon. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he also, I believe, had... um a quiz contest on his fan page, which uh, was supported with generous um, prize by, of course, our our sponsors here, Equestrian Collections. Uh, Tell us about that, and uh, are you going to announce the winner for us today? Uh, We will be announcing the winner on um, his fan page um, today, and it's a prize sponsored by Equestrian Collections. It's a luggage set. It's really nice. And the quiz was to guess his favorite treat, what saddle he wears, his height, um, and his weight. So I think we have somebody who has answered within very, very, very close exact. And there were a lot of good guesses and some that were a little further off, but um, we'll be announcing that winner today. Oh, wonderful. All right. So you can go to his fan page there on Facebook. Just search for Paragon. And, uh, of course, uh, as Heather says, he's on Twitter, too, at HRH Paragon. And Heather's also on Twitter. You tweet away, too, don't you, Heather? Heather Blitz? Every now and then, yes, you keep me um, on my toes and doing that as often as I can. <laughs> All right. And, of course, you can follow Heather's fan page on Facebook. You have a very active fan page, too, Heather. Um, a great following there. It, it, you know, it's a marvelous thing, isn't it, this social networking? Well, it is. It, it really is. And... Um... You know, I just watched that movie, The Social Network, and it's just it's so profound what all this does around the world. But it's um, it's a great bunch of fun to have the fans chime in and to be able to let everyone know what we're going, what's going on and what we're doing. So it's just a, it's a great duel. It, it certainly is. And uh, and, we, and you do keep uh, your your fans appraised of, too. And you said earlier that you've got two shows coming up um, this weekend and then the following weekend. So busy time for you. Um, what else can we expect from the Blitz Dressage team in the coming months? Hmm. Well, you know, I, um, I struggle to, uh, 
plan things a long time in advance just because things change so much that I tend to wait and see what my plans will be. Um, so I have some clinics coming up in the spring and maybe a little bit into the summer, but there's still a few unknowns, some big unknowns that um, can't announce yet. Um, that will determine, you know, how many clinics I do, how many shows I do after the season's over here. But, um, you know, the season winds up here in Florida about mid-April, so then things really shift gears and sort of normal life begins again. And I'm kind of looking forward to that, but the season's been really exciting and fun at the same time. Absolutely. Well, it sounds like you've got very exciting prospects with Paragon there. We will, of course, follow him with interest. Don't forget, check his fan page, follow him on Twitter. And, of course, we'll bring you updates here at Paragon's Diary when Heather is co-hosting the show. And you do keep a blog, don't you, on your website too? Yes, I do. I don't blog as often as I should. feel bad about that, but I try to get to it, and I put up one just a few days ago. So um, I will keep those coming so you're blogging and of course there are video links too on your websites to your tests which is also not always nice because i know your fans like to see those tests as well if they can't get to the shows themselves so um don't forget to go to heatherblitz.info uh, that's www.heatherblitz.info we'll put a link as always on our show notes and if you have any questions for me any comments for heather or anything that you'd like to share with us on the horse radio network send me an email at chris at horseradionetwork.com well heather that but wraps it up uh, i want to wish you the best of luck with your competition this weekend and the following weekend we will follow you with interest as always on the dressage radio show thanks so much for spending time with us this week heather oh my pleasure thanks for having me on chris well i will be back of course same time same place next week so until then good luck everybody and thanks for listening